Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 68. This week we are live at that conference with an assortment of conversations in the main hallway. We talked to an 11-year-old Raspberry Pi user and Vim hacker, and Uncle Bob scares us into changing the world. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. Hey, Carl, where are we at? So we're at that conference in Wisconsin, Dells, Wisconsin, at that conference. And it is uh, day two, and we've had a chance to talk quite a few awesome people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we uh, we just sort of set up, and, and we, we talked to pretty much everybody and said, hey, do you have something cool to talk about? And we recorded a whole bunch of clips. Which you're going to be hearing put together after the intro here. Yep. Yeah, and one of them we talked to, we talked to, for example, an 11-year-old kid, and he was talking about dropping you a terminal and Vim, and it was pretty hardcore, so you got to listen to that for sure. Yeah, so hopefully we got a nice variety of people and that you guys like an episode like this. It's not quite our normal thing, but uh, we definitely had fun putting it together. Yep, so let's get to the feedback. So what do we have? So this week, uh, Marcel Kortgen, uh, there's an umlaut in there, so I don't know how to pronounce that exactly, he reached out to us on Twitter, and um, he said he liked the seven rules of a great Git commit message that uh, we had on the show with Jenny Kihi. And uh, uh, we thank we thank you for that feedback. It's, you know, we hope that the news that we put together is really relevant for you. And uh, if you want to win the Infragistics Ultimate License, like Marcel did, uh, just reach out to us in any of our ways, iTunes reviews, um, you know, any of the ways that we have, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah, you can go right to the site. On our site. There. Yep. And uh, we even talked to uh, Infragistics because they are down here at the at the conference here, which is pretty cool. And uh, so they're giving away some uh, some T-shirts. But uh, yeah, we just want to give them an extra thanks this week for uh, for sponsoring the show and and making this whole thing possible, making it so we could come down here and record. And uh, yeah, so let's get to the uh, to the clips. So we have an awesome, awesome, awesome guest. It's really an honor to be talking to you. Uh, so we have uh, Uncle Bob Martin and. The way that uh, the way that I was introduced to you was I found your book, the Agile Principles and Practices. Book, oh yeah, and uh, that was like you know a development, life changing experience for me. So <laughs> I, it's just awesome that uh, that I can be talking to you right now. I appreciate. That. So I guess well, first of all, a second ago you started reciting pi, and you said you know yeah. how many de- de- decimal places? Uh, One hundred and ten. One hundred and ten yeah. decimal places, which yeah. is really awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> we pro- I think we probably all have something like that. It's just like part of the geek part of us, right? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, what are you working on these days? Oh, heavens. Um, <laughs> what I'm working on these days is um, uh, his- history. Yeah. I've begun to get really interested again in old computers. So I recently assembled a kit uh, of an old PDP-8. Okay. And uh, managed to uh, get that to work. It's actually got a Raspberry Pi in the middle of it, and it's running a simulator. But it blinks all the lights appropriately and so on, yeah. which I really enjoy. I, I just got a, uh, a straight PDP-8 um, that somebody had in their basement. And so now I've got it in my office. I bought it from it. I'm getting my oscilloscope out. I'm trying to probe it, see yeah. if it can work. Um, that's kind of on the hobby side of things. And it, it, you know, it's a great throwback. Throwback to an older age. Yeah. Um, I recently took six young people, uh, high school age and just below, Mm -hmm. and taught them, spent five days with them, teaching them the basics of Lua. Okay. On an iPad. 
Okay. And, which is fun. Lua is a great language on an iPad. There's a package called... Um, um, I can't remember the name of it. It's on the <laughs> it's on the iPad. What's um? God, it's, the name of the company is Two Lives Left, and the package okay. I can't remember. It's it's an app. It is an app okay. for the iPad. It's a Lua environment, um, and it gives you absolute control over all the graphics and the the accelerometer and the sound and everything. So yeah, so it's very easy to make. Um, really good interactive applications, especially games. Okay. So I had these kids doing a, a whack-a-mole game. And is this the first language that they've been exposed to? Yeah, they'd never been okay. exposed to anything. I, I chose them particularly because they knew nothing about computers at all. Yeah. And we spent five days building, you know, a bunch of little apps and then culminating in whack-a-mole. Okay. Which was fun. Like, um. The other project that I'm deeply involved with is, is the production of all of the videos that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I spend a lot of time writing those scripts, um, acting them. We, we shoot the videos. We edit them horrific, tremendously, lots and lots of editing. And then we make them available on our website, cleancoders.com. And what are those videos about? They're all about software, starting at the basics of clean code. Mm -hmm. Going on through object-oriented design principles, disciplines like test-driven development, uh, high-level principles. Um, now I'm doing a series on acceptance testing. After that, it'll be a series on professionalism and then functional programming and architecture. So we've got about 40 hours of video up there now. Mm -hmm. By the time we're done, it'll probably have doubled that. Okay. So that, that reminds me of something you talked about in the keynote, because you did today's keynote, which was awesome by the way thanks and um you were you were talking about you know how, like how you do things fast you know yes. and you do them fast by doing them right yes and having good you know you probably i think you said it more eloquently than me so is that is that kind of the idea behind the videos as well like this this will get you like the good foundational this start is, this is what this is kind of the um the the principle behind everything i teach right now mm -hmm. right which is that Speed comes from quality. Quality does not come from speed. Right. If you want to go fast, do things well. Uh, if you go fast first, you will make a mess. Yeah. If you go well first, you will go much faster than the people who go fast first. Mm -hmm. our, um, our software society is dominated by this um, startup mentality. Yeah. You've got to get to market first. So mm -hmm. throw off all the rules, throw off all the chains, just have code pour out of every orifice of your body and get there first. And this is just wrong. Well, we <laughs> know we know what happens. We know what happens. I mean, what, the problem I'm having right now, I do a lot of stuff with IoT. Yeah. And it, every everybody's giving it a bad name. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people are giving it a bad name because of the security issues. And the security issues are because of companies that are going fast. And guess what? They give you a nice product. You take it out of the box. The experience is great. Everything's wonderful. But the thing is fundamentally insecure. Yes. I mean, yes. they just, it's just, they, 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 you know, maybe like five minutes before they ship, they're like, hey, can we throw some security in here? Maybe like sprinkle some SSL or something. And, you know, like that, that's how things are done in way too many cases. That's an example of... Um, people focusing more on visible features than invisible features, mm -hmm. which is a, a, which is one of the ways that you get this manifestation of bad quality. Yeah. 
And there are many, many other ways as well. Um, a lot of times they will throw the code together in such a way that, that their development time must slow down. Yeah. They will go slower and slower with time. And so they will produce fewer and fewer features with time. That means the pressure builds more and more. Uh, and that's a runaway train. It, yeah. it just goes off the rails. Eventually, they either have to hire so many people they can't afford the project, or they lose all their customer base. And yeah. That unfortunately happens way too often. Yeah, and people think that I'm crazy very often. Carl is, is a big advocate of me being crazy. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> they, they think I'm crazy when I, when I try to explain as well that um, you know, things like unit testing, I say, listen, you know, they, they, they always think that there's a cost associated with that. And I always tell them that this is, you know, not only is there, is there reduction in time, but it's not even at the end. Like everybody tries to make the thing like, oh, well, we'll save all this time yeah. later. later. And I'm like, yeah. no, no, you will save no. time right no. now, yeah. right now. <laughs> so tell me I'm not crazy. No, you're definitely not crazy. Um, a good unit testing discipline like test-driven development will save you time instantly. Mm -hmm. You will spend less time coding, less time debugging, less time in just about every phase of the software. Even if you're talking about 20 lines of code, you're going to get that 20 lines of code done faster, even though you're really writing 40 because the unit test will be another 20 lines. Yeah. You'll still get it done faster in almost every case. And in those funny cases where you wouldn't, you can't repeat them. Right. It's amazing to me that anybody would think that testing is some kind of liability, right? right? Does it matter if this code works? If it doesn't matter if it works, I can meet any schedule you set for me. Yeah. And that, <laughs> that is really the little mindset that's going on in people's heads. Yeah. If I don't have to make it completely work, I can meet my schedule. Yeah. Yeah, fix it, fix it after it ships. And, after and it ships. maybe we'll charge yeah. extra for that. <laughs> we'll ship the alpha. We'll ship the beta. Yeah, and then you always talk about the the industry being. I think I, I quoted it here uh, in a in a state of perpetual inexperience. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and it and you made such a good point. It wasn't that it wasn't that we're you know that that people are you know that people are getting worse, but it's it's that we're getting this this flood of new people, which is great. We love people coming into the industry, but what it does is it means that every time we we double the number of developers we have, half of them are new. Yes, well, that, and that is the case. So my, I, I did a very informal analysis of this just by looking at um, recruiting numbers in the past and trying to estimate the number of programmers. And I, I concluded that the number of programmers doubles roughly every five years. Yeah. Which means that half the programmers in the world have less than five years' experience. Mm -hmm. and, and that's always true as long as we're on that growth curve. So that's what leads me to this statement of perpetual inexperience. We never have enough older people to teach the new people. And so our culture is dominated by the youthful outlook, which is not all bad. But there's not enough of the seasoning. Yeah. There's not enough of the old guys to say, hey, you know, slow down, do it right. You don't need to rush. The guy who's telling you to rush is a fool. Don't rush. <laughs> now, with the Agile movement, that was supposed to help bring about, you know, better code craftsmanship. Yes. And it, it, it didn't. Can you kind of explain now, why? It tried. I mean, the, the goal originally was um, that we would be healing the divide between business and technology. This was Kent Beck's uh, founding statement for the whole Agile community. And for some reason, it did the opposite. 
Uh, and, and the reasons why that happened are a little bit technical and has to do with the scrum certification movement and the enthusiasm that the business had, that businesses had for the business side of the practices and the confusion amongst developers about the efficiency of the technical practices. We still debate to this day, unit testing and pair programming and refactoring, all of that is still debated in technical circles. The business side is not debating the business practices at all. So what's, what's happened there is that the business side w shot forward mm -hmm. and took on Scrum and took on all of, all of the agile business practices. Developers did not shoot forward, did not take on the technical practices with anywhere near the kind of speed. Out of frustration, some of us formed another movement, the craftsmanship movement, and those two movements have been moving separately ever since and they need to come back together so is there is there any kind of future where you can see in, you know in the short-term future where you can see them starting to merge again or are, are they still kind of going to be in parallel for a little no bit? i kind of feel like the you know the voice crying in the wilderness right now saying you know everybody we got to come together um but i it must happen there there must be a day soon when these two two movements start to come back together because the dysfunction is so large and we're headed towards a huge catastrophe. You know, at some point, our software is going to kill 10,000 people and the politicians of the world are going to, going to try to legislate what we do after that. I know you, you, you scared the crap out of me in the keynote, by the way. <laughs> that was my intent. <laughs> so, Carl, I, I don't think you caught it, but he put up these headlines from the newspapers, and it was like, you know, software mistake kills 10,000 people. And, and you're sort of looking at it like, wait, did that happen? Because, like, <laughs> I've heard of stories of, you know, issues with, like, airline or aircraft software and yeah, things like that. Yeah. So it was, like, so believable that I wasn't quite sure if you had made it up or not. <laughs> yeah, no, I had made it up. But, yeah. but it, it is a very... Um, believable headline. Yeah. And the following headline I put up was Congress passes sweeping new software regulations, uh. which is also <laughs> relatively That's more terrifying. And it's very terrifying. Yeah. So we have to get there first. We have to be there with regulations of our own, with disciplines and ethics and morals and professional principles. We have to get there first. And that means we have to bring these two, these two streams back together, the craftsmanship stream and the agile stream. Yeah. And it'll be in that mix that we will come up with these principles and profession. Okay. So and if we can get there first, maybe we can stop the congressman from passing horrific laws. Yeah. So what do each of us individually need to do to improve the profession as a whole? So I've been asked this question quite a bit today, and my answer is this. Um, go home and have a very serious conversation with yourself about what your ethics are. Draw a line in your mind and it's a line you refuse to cross, even if you're going to get fired. Make sure you understand what that line is, and then find people who have a similar line and start talking with each other. And form a, a guild or a, a group or a collection of people who think in a, a common way about this problem and spread the word. Amazing. Well, Uncle Bob, it was an honor, like I said, speaking with you. Um, and what was, where can people find your videos? You can go to cleancoders.com. Okay. And I know that you're on Twitter as well. What's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is Uncle Bob Martin. Okay. I love the stuff that you put out there. Sometimes it's controversial. I love, I love it when you stir things up. And uh, I love your comments out there. Oh, thank you. So again, once again, it was an honor speaking to you. Thank you so thank much. You.
All right. Uh, right now we're talking to Danny Warren. Uh, he's a Windows Platform Development MVP uh, for Microsoft, and uh, he's doing a talk later on this week about Cortana. Yeah, it's a common friend of ours. Yeah, <laughs> love Cortana. She's the best. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's called hey, uh, hey Cortana, Where Am I? So I'll talk about Cortana, and then we'll also show off using location APIs as well. Okay, that sounds pretty cool. So, you know, I, I know a lot, a lot of people have heard about Cortana, but can you explain a little bit more what Cortana is for those people who don't have uh, Windows 10 or a Windows phone? Yeah, definitely. So Cortana is a uh, speech recognition engine. That's what Microsoft calls their speech recognition engine on Windows 10. And it is a full breadth of services that has voice commands for launching an application. It is about uh, doing speech to text and text to speech. And it allows you to get dictations and even uh, match based on known sets of uh, pieces of data. You just made me realize something. You mentioned it's on Windows Phone and now Windows 10, and you said people might not be familiar with it. And the reason they're not familiar with it is just because not everybody has a Windows Phone. And and whenever I listen to the tech press, they're always talking about Google Now, and then they also talk about Siri, which, let's be honest, Siri's not that great. <laughs> At Google Now plus Siri is pretty good, and that really is, in my mind, is like is is what Cortana is, and Cortana maybe is like that plus plus. So now, now with people getting Windows 10, I mean, a lot of more people get exposed to it. Is that you're probably really excited about that, I assume, right? Oh, I'm stoked. It used to be only Windows Phone. Yeah. And so, and, and who owns a Windows Phone? I do, yeah. Well, not Jason anymore. <laughs> I still own one. And so now that it's on the actual operating system that everyone's going to use across the entire globe, it's available in 14 languages. Yeah. It, it's The reach is amazing, and it's very powerful. So I, it's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you highlighted the speech capabilities, but that's not just all that Cortana does. It does just a ton more, um, like... Uh, like the advanced Bing searches, like I can, I can even type into it, and it'll f find out stuff. Like I'll ask it if, if the Packers are going to win today because it's almost football season, and uh, Bing through Cortana gets it right and tells it to me in uh, humorous way often. Yeah, yeah, it's super fun to interact with her, and I like asking her to sing to me sometimes. <laughs> but one of my favorite things about her is that. Because of that interaction, you said that is now possible to like ask, well, what about this? Or, you know, who's going to win? Who, predict who's going to win out of this next soccer game. You can interact or uh, integrate all of that into your application now in Windows 10. Yeah. So uh, are you going to go through, uh, you know, what a developer would go through for, you know, those various situations during your talk then? So what I'm going to cover in my talk is the very core basics, the voice commands, the voice command service, which is new, which that's how you surface up the logic of walking through different decisions inside of your app without actually ever bringing your app up. It's all done through the Cortana UI. And then we'll talk about the speech-to-text and text-to-speech as well. Uh, so that in the middle of your application, while you're using it, you can have an always-listening recognition system running. And you can do commands like captain's log. And it brings up a oh, dialogue to do captain's log. That's That's, awesome. that's what uh, that's we'll be cool. doing today. That's really cool. So I saw Jason's face. And it was just like <laughs> one of those, like, it was blank, but at the same time, it was because he was so excited. <laughs> yeah, that, that does sound really cool, being able to do that right in the middle. And that, of course, that always makes me think, like, okay, my application. Applications. What can I use that for? Because now I could, you know, because I have this app where I can control PowerPoint from my from a phone app, but I can also use the band to do that 
And uh, so I could have it listening as well. So if let's say the band stops working, I could just say next slide, right? Exactly. And you just build that into your app and it's always listening. Okay. And then Tell me exactly how plans. to do that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so far. <laughs> Yeah, come yeah, to my session at 2.30 tomorrow. Well, is it, to be honest, is it a lot of code? No, no, it's not. So the voice command service, there's a lot of boilerplate to it. But once once you're in there, then it's just a matter of executing, um, you know, the command you want to do. And you can write files to disk. You can call voice, um, you can call web services. So as long as PowerPoint exposes a way for you to call next slide on it from well, a I've already app, I've already solved that part of it. Then you are golden to work that way. Oh, okay, okay. So does that drain a lot of battery then if, if it's always listening while my app is running? Um, I don't find it draining a ton, but I also haven't run a single app listening for hours. Right. So, you know, you think about a typical use case of I'm going to go and set up an event. Let's let's take an event for an example. And what's involved in there? Okay, I have a, an event name. I have an event location. I have an event date. I have a description, and maybe a few other details about it. That's you know I rattle all those off in just a couple seconds. So it's not going to take you that long to go through this, and that's not going to hurt your battery life. Okay. And then does it have to be? How strict is Cortana if it's listening like that? Um, do I have to say, like, listen for this specifically? Or if I'm, you know, in the heat of the moment during my PowerPoint presentation, I'm like, hey, uh, you know, next, well, I could say next slide, but I could say move next, or I could say go to the next one. Like, is it, do I have to specifically put those in? Because I know Cortana is pretty good at, at doing, like, language understanding. But what about when it's listening in your app? Do you get any of that? So in your app, you're going to have complete control over what it recognizes. So you can okay. do a list of grammars and, or a list of options that you can say, move next, next slide. But you can also do an SRGS file, if I got that right, um, speech recognition specification file. And what that is now is a file that's way smarter than I am, but it's all about doing that fluid contextual uh, recognition kind of stuff. Okay, that's yeah. really cool. I like that. <laughs> I'm totally going to do that. So is there anything else about Cortana that has you excited with some of the new features that you get with it in Windows 10? Uh, the most exciting part to me is that they've exposed all of Cortana. And on Azure, if you look under Cortana, there's a whole other feature set up there. But I won't be covering any of that in today's talk. That's a whole other ballgame. But it's big data handling and all these kinds of other um, machine learning. And they're wrapping all of that underneath the Cortana umbrella. And uh, on the devices, you can hook into that. You can uh, process all your data up in the cloud. So you can do really computational heavy things up in the cloud and be able to access that all through your voice on a UWP app. That's awesome. Cool. Well, thank you, Danny, for talking to us. Uh, that sounds pretty cool. Thanks for telling us about Cortana. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yep. Uh, where can people find you? They can find me at Danny D. Warren on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Um, if you search Danny D. Warren, you'll find only me. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Danny. Thank thanks. You. I'm choding in your ears. Okay, so what's your name? My name is Ethan. Okay, and how'd you get here? Well, I went through the door. <laughs> did uh, wh where did you come from? Well, I'm from Greendale, Milwaukee County. Oh, okay, that's not too bad. So what? And my uh, dad it works at the company SafeNet, so and that's here. So yay! Oh, okay. So you're promoting his company. So what were you saying before about your badges? 
He's safe well, net. He works yeah, let there. me no, let me see your uh, your badges there. So what's cool at that conference is you get to put these little stickers on there. So yeah, so tell me tell me about about yourself there based on your stickers. I'm a returning camper. Yep. Uh, I'm an official smarty pants. It's official, <laughs> official. I'm internet junkie. Yeah. That's not official, unfortunately. And I could be president. You could be president, huh? I could. Wow. So I could be talking to the next president right here. You could. That's amazing. So are you into technology? Like, uh, you said something about a Raspberry Pi earlier? Yeah. Cause like first, well, my dad showed my brother Alexander this website called Scratch. Yep. And where it's a it's a simple programming languages where you put blocks together to make a program. Yep. I it's it's kind of complicated if you think about it, but it can be easy to learn. Yep. If you know what you're doing. And so I've at first I just created a thing where the this little beetle follows your mouse, and you have to eat the apples, and then you have to avoid balls that bounce around the board, and one of them chases you, one just bounces around, and another one is crazy. Wow, that's actually pretty sophisticated because I know. Um, and if the balls hit you, your score back goes back down to zero, and you have to get a high score. Okay, well that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I, then eventually I made a platformer, which was hard, and I also made this thing called Pet with the pen. The pen is like it draws out something, and it's not a sprite. A sprite is the things that are on the board. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then what did you say earlier about a Raspberry Pi? So when I, I did that, and my dad. For Christmas, he got me a small box, yep. and it looked like it could be an iPhone or something, but then when I opened <laughs> it, it was a Raspberry Pi. Well, that's At even first, better. I had no clue what it was, but then my dad told me that you what, that you put, add attach a monitor, a keyboard, and a mouse, it didn't come with any of that, yeah. and, then it's, and then you could make a computer, you could also program it to be... An arcade where you could like put pa where you could use Pac-Man on it or and do some really cool stuff with it. Yep. So I started out by getting a monitor, a mouse, and a keyboard. Okay. And then, I but it didn't work because you need to download the files onto an SD card, which you put in the Pi. Yep. And that's the programming. It looked really easy on the computer. To, it, the video was two minutes, but it took two hours, probably more. <laughs> So are you going to try to write your own uh, stuff for the Pi? I have. And okay. In fact, I've downloaded, uh, I, I also got for Easter, or not my Easter, my birthday, uh, I got something else for Easter, just a few, like, I, I got a camera for yeah. the Pi. So for, e for, e for my birthday, sorry, not Easter, for my birthday, I got the Sunfounder um, Raspberry Pi kit, where it comes in with a breadboard, wires, LEDs, mo a mortar, a oh, button, awesome. buttons, levers, and a lot of stuff. And then you put it onto the breadboard, and then you download this file, and it uses the programming Vim. So you go into the main terminal, access Vim, and then once you've accessed Vim, then you can then you go. Well, first uh, you download the file, and then you have to like go. You have to run a command that allows you to have the file in the terminal, and then you can run the Vim. Oh, wow. And then there's some pre-downloaded stuff. The first thing is you run the program, and the LED blinks. But me, but my, with help from my dad, we modified the program so it's so, like, you could put in how many times it blinks. Yeah. How long the LED will stay on, and the time in between that it would be on so it would be off so it would blink five times when it's it will stay on for well for the ticks like one tick is a thousandth of a second one thousand ticks is one second so for 500 ticks yep 
Half to a stay second. on, and it would stay off for 100 or 1,000 ticks. Okay. So, and then there's all the other programs is where it's eight LEDs, and it would run it along a line. So one LED would turn on, the second LED would turn on, the first would turn off, third would turn on, second would turn off, and it would go all the eight, and then it would do the same thing coming back. Yep. And that. Well, you could modify it. It would go on forever, so you'd have to stop the program manually. But you could make it so it would slow down or speed up. Or, like, there would be two LEDs on at a time instead of one. Yeah. And then for the fourth program we did, we did... uh, So it was the same setup as the last program, number three, with uh, eight LEDs. But instead, you could control which LEDs are on and off. So it, it, it wasn't like flowing lines. Instead, you would like, type in like which LED. Well, since actually you'd start. So the first LED would actually be considered the zeroth LED because that's just a computer. That's what the computer thinks because you start at zero for a computer. Normally, you'd start at one, but it's a computer. Yeah. So it thinks differently. Right. And then zero would be on and one would be off. Mm-hmm. Although it said that if you typed in, if you typed in two one, then the then the second LED would turn on, but it was wrong. Oh, the documentation probably was wrong. Because, that happens a lot. Probably that's a, because <laughs> that's my, a, that's a good the, the set I the compute the um, kit I bought was meant for the Raspberry Pi B plus, but I didn't have the Raspberry Pi two. So, yeah. Ah, okay. So that could have changed. That I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Raspberry Pi 2 is six times faster than the Raspberry Pi Biggies Plus. Absolutely. Which is a good thing because loading the files from the SD card took a heck of a while with the Raspberry Pi B Plus. <laughs> well, hopefully this is faster. So how old are you? Um, when I got the Raspberry Pi, I was 10, and right now I'm 11, so... Man, I'm, I'm figuring in like two years you'll be able to write anything that you want. So if you could write any program that you wanted, what would you write? Well, since it has to stay intact with the breadboard, like you can, there's one, there's, it comes with two mortars, one buzzer, a lot of LEDs, and probably what I do, I could actually create a game on the breadboard with like the LEDs so you would push a, like there's buttons, so you like, yeah. you could push a button and like maybe like a quick reaction game. Like, I saw that you could make that, but I could make my own where you push a button. Like, so if this LED lights up, you have to push this button. And if this LED lights up, you have to push this button. If yes, and so on. And it's a quick... I could do that. I You could also make it, like, an invert. So if you, if you wanted to do the first LED, you'd, it would have to be... You have to push... Since there's four buttons and a lever, the first LED would be the first button level off. Second LED would be first button level uh, level lever on. Third LED would be second button lever off, and so on and so forth. Are you speaking at this conference? What? Are you going to speak th- at this conference, or? No. Maybe next year. Probably next year. Okay. I've, I think you're ready. <laughs> well, it would be pretty complicated to do a quick reaction game. I think I think by next year, I think you'll have it all like figured you have out. To te- like you'd have to test the inverting signal and. It would be really hard because, well, it, the button would like the button would probably just turn on an LED, and it would. I'd have to make it so it an LED would be on and it would turn it off. But then I'd have to set up a configuration for when this LED is on, then it and but no, it's off and you press the button or it's on for too long so then it turns off and then it's not really a quick reaction game. Eh, that probably not didn't make sense, but. 
No, that's awesome. Then, like, I'd have to set up a system for that. Like, this this would light up if you... This thing would light up if you got it incorrect. That would be pretty complicated. Okay. Like, you have a separate LED, different color. Okay. Anything else you're working on? Or are you focusing well, on the Raspberry Pi? I'm trying to figure out how to work the motor. Okay. It's very complicated, and the, like... A motor is very complicated. Let's yeah. say that. You'll you'll figure it out. I'm, I'm and sure. And it's much harder than it is in a tutorial. That's the thing you should know. <laughs> yeah, they make it look easy, but it's not that easy, huh? It's not easy. Okay. Well, thank you, Ethan, so much for talking to me. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so we have Brandon Martinez. Not quite sure what you do, other than uh, you know you just get a camera in people's faces. Pretty much. Now he's a he's a, a longtime friend of the show. And uh, I don't know, so what's going on? Well, I'm here at that conference. Uh, I've been here since day zero, as we call yeah. it. Um, I am pretty much the photographer for the event, so I'm running yeah, around. Absolutely. As you said, I'm just getting in people's faces. People are like, so am I going to see you? I'm like, well, you'll probably see the camera, but yeah, I'll be around. <laughs> well, why don't we do this? Because so, you, take, you, you, you take amazing, amazing photos. So, so you, if people want to use you for your photography services in the Michigan area, they can go to Martinez Media. Correct. MartinezMedia.net. Wow. Or just good. search for it. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, people are just going to search for it. So what else is going on? What are you working on? You're presenting. Yes. Actually, I'm presenting uh, in the next block. Uh, I am presenting on SAS and okay. specifically uh, a set of libraries, uh, bourbon, neat, and bitters. Yeah. This is uh, definitely. Delicious. I this hope is, someone's bringing bourbon. This is definitely Wisconsin. It oh, should you know be what? my job, but I'm not. You know, I actually meant to bring some. I was really this close. I actually, so a, a little tip for those that want to bring bourbon but are a little afraid of conference rules empty it out. We'll drink it. Uh, and then just use some apple cider, filter it. Looks just like it. And then you just take a swig at the beginning of. We're talking to drunk Brandon right no, now. No, no, no. <laughs> it's been a long day. No, uh, so yeah, we're um, going to be talking about SAS. I've actually given this presentation down at Chicago Code Camp, another great conference that happens around the April timeframe. Um, went really well there and got selected here. So pretty much we're going to be talking about how SAS can better your CSS development, uh, taking advantage of things like bourbon, which give you a lot of uh, what we call mix-ins, which are more or less like functions in CSS, let you make your code a little tidier, reuse some logic. Um, and then, yeah, as far as like the other libraries go, Neat's great for some responsive design. And then Bitter sets you up so that way you have a nice modular development style. So is, is SAS winning the, uh, you know, I don't know what you call SAS it. SAS versus C less war? CSS. Yeah, so that's that's actually less, that's yeah. a good question. And, I know. Um, no one ever asks me that directly. I try to address <laughs> it. Um, so Bootstrap, which I do mention in the presentation, uh, started on less. So they kind of gave yeah. less a really big boost. Well, someone had made a SAS port of Bootstrap, and it kind of took off, and it eventually became official. So as far as, like, the wars go... SAS has, to my understanding, always been a little more feature complete as far as that goes. From an overall usage, they're pretty neck and neck. There's definitely some years where less is winning and others where SAS has been ahead. Okay. But for, from my experience, it just looks like when you're in the Visual Studio world versus the other one, because I don't know that one as much. I'm a you know Microsoft developer mainly. The tooling has always been a little bit better for less yes, than it has. has been for SAS, but I still have always preferred SAS. Yeah. So that's actually a really good point, because now with Visual Studio 2015, 
we're getting all that additional open source tooling. So they're starting to push all of those tasks off to things like Grunt and Gulp. So those will be your preprocessors. They're going to run through your SAS workflow or your less workflow. So now you don't really have to worry about support like that because you can just bake it right in with whatever tools you want. Is that is that what the dual tools have done historically is just done the compiling or do they give you any IntelliSense or anything? Um, so that's that's a great question. Uh, with things like VS Code, they're starting to give you IntelliSense and stuff on like on that. And then Visual Studio is also starting to pick a lot of that stuff up. Okay. Uh, Jason, as you know, TypeScript, for example, they're starting to get really good IDE support. And the same thing is going to be with CSS preprocessors. Okay. So if I wanted to get going at adding something like this, and I'm, I know I have an existing web app, what, what kind of tooling changes do I need to do to get that going in like that grunt gulp situation that you had explained? If you're coming from, let's say, like just a vanilla CSS setup, the beautiful thing about most preprocessors is that all you have to do is change the file extension, and you're already there. Now, no magic's just going to happen there. It'll just create the same file you had, but it at least lets you start at ground zero and start building up your SAS so, workflow. So that'll change my CSS into SAS. Right. But what kind of what, what do I, I have to change in my tooling environment for that to work? So yeah. So as far as the specific specific tooling goes, uh, you're going to want to pull in. So if you're already using Grunt or something like that, I highly recommend using libsas, which is actually the I always forget this. It's either C or C port of SAS. Uh, so aside there, SAS started as a Ruby library, so it was always kind of a pain for us Windows developers because you have to install Ruby, et cetera, et cetera, kind of a pain. But now with libsas, it's just a matter of installing the node module. And there's uh, there's multiple node modules that take advantage of that, such as node SAS being one of the most popular. So it's just a matter of npm install node SAS, and then you just point it at your files, and then you start compiling. Yeah, I think that's a bit of a gateway drug too, Carl, because if you have, if you switch to, if you start using like, um, if you have one preprocessor like that, you're going to start using something like Gulp or Grunt. And what you're going to find is like, as you want to do more preprocessing, you just add it to that, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know, you, you can agree or disagree, Brandon, but I think even if, if, if there's like somebody listening that's in like the .NET world, like I think tools like uh, Grunt and Gulp aren't just for JavaScript anymore. I think they're... I think they're starting to expand. I think just about everybody's going to find a use for them and yeah. then start building things into that process. Yeah, I'll make, I'll make the bold statement here. And if you're a web developer in the .NET world and you're looking to move forward, you have to learn either Gulp or Grunt. Yeah. I think it's just it's definitely the way of the future. And I think Microsoft has lately just come to realize, hey, these open source projects, they, they're doing a lot of the work for us. Why not just embrace them? Yeah. And it's just like magic when you have it all set up. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's kind of a hassle to get it set up, but you can use, uh, I know we're, we're kind of getting in the weeds with all these different frameworks, but you can use Yeoman to, uh, you know, just to give you kind of a, a template for how to do this. Because I, I always, you know, I, you always see like these build, big, complicated build processes in my projects. I didn't write any of that. Right. I and mean, all I did was I started with some work from somebody else and then I just modified it to suit my needs. But then it, then it's just like magic. Like as you're, you're modifying your SAS file, um, it's just automatically just recompiling, you know, that one file, for example, or it figures out what needs to get recompiled. And it just flows throughout the system and it'll even refresh your browser. I mean, don't don't discount those tools just because that's you know you're like I said you're not a, a JavaScript node you know Node.js developer. So just yeah to add to that, um, so as an ASP.NET web dev, um, that really was kind of the so to say gateway drug there. Yep. I I went to a, a session on Yeoman and I'm like oh man this is cool, and just a really cool note there. Uh, so ASP.NET MVC six is in beta right now. 
the Yeoman templates have been more up to date than the Visual Studio tooling because it's just easier to push updates out for that because it's just a matter of, again, NPM install and yeah. get your update. There's no installers. There's nothing to deal with there. So the tooling is is definitely on the edge a little bit more with the open source stuff. Very cool. Anything else you want to talk about? No, I think that's... I Photography think that's, and SaaS. Those are, those are your yeah. two things. Yeah, today. Today <laughs> they are, definitely. No, you're... Just you know, just so everybody's aware, probably not everybody is. You know, you've made our logos, uh, you redid our website. Um, we probably owe you like far more money than we've ever made. Uh, <laughs> I think the title "Friend of the Show" just covers it. I, I feel it deep in my heart. <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to thank you personally for for everything you've done to help the show. We really appreciate it. We could, I don't know how we do. We'd actually we'd look like you know complete morons if we didn't uh, <laughs> if we didn't have all this stuff. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you guys. Well, one one way we can partially repay you is any other plugs you want to have to anything that you have. Where can yep. people find you at? Well, I'd say the best plug as far as the developer community goes is just follow me on Twitter, at Brandon Martinez. And from there, you're just going to see it all. (laughs) Go long for the ride. Gateway to the world. Okay, thank you, Brandon. Thank you. Carl, I got to interrupt this for just a second, and I want to talk about Infragistics. Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from Infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, they have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp charting, gauges, barcodes. It's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio too. It lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know sell your ideas. Yeah, what I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big plus. If we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos. So you can try it out for a month, download the demos and try it today. Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. So we're talking with the man, the guy who started it all, the guy who had the vision that started this conference, which is called that conference. He has the vision right now in his head. It's gone. <laughs> it's Clark Sell. I, I fell asleep. How are you? <laughs> I am very good. How are you doing? Is uh, you finally starting to get a, a little less busy or that, that only happens like, you know, the day after? <laughs> it's pretty busy until, until it's over with. Yeah. But you do but have, you do have some great people helping you. Though, I do. I, which is why I'm sitting here right now. Because <laughs> I delegated something away. <laughs> yeah. Usually and, I'm in, in that room right now doing, uh, doing stuff. But Yeah. And we, we really appreciate it. So, I, you know, I can't help but feel like the, you know, that conference keeps getting more and more refined. So, you know, like what's new for this, this year's that conference. I noticed the stage was just like amazing. The stage is certainly new. Yeah. Um, yeah. We worked with a production company over the last few months to 
design a stage. You, yeah. know, you can't, you don't buy stages. You have to design them. Yeah. You can't go to like buyastage.com. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, Amazon does not prime it. Okay. Um, which is terrible because that would have been really helpful. Yeah. Uh, no. So we got a stage. We did some, we've got some Nest cams around. They're doing a little kind of quasi live streaming. Yeah. Um, we've got more speakers, more kids. Yeah. And, you know, fixing things that have been broken in the past. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, it gets better. It definitely gets better every year. Yeah. So are you happy with the turnout? Yeah. I we need more. Yeah. Um. I I don't say that from a um. Greedy perspective, but financially, the way the tickets work, um, it only works out at kind of a certain number. Since since we sell them upside down until the costs are kind of uh, realized, every ticket's in the hole, right? Yeah. So. We need to get to a certain point. I think I think that's about another 200 people, and then we'll kind of cap it. But um, you know, we'll keep it we'll keep it such that it's the right feeling. So, how many attendees are there this year? We have 800. Um, that's 800 professionals, so that's speakers and attendees. Um, and then we have 400 spouses and kids, um, which is actually a little less than it was the year before. But we have less spouses, and we actually have more kids. So. Kind of a weird, weird <laughs> shift. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's so it's like you know the dad bringing their their kid or the mom bringing their kid. Um, yeah, and so you know we're happy. There's you know twelve hundred and fifty, thirteen hundred, kind of overall. We're north of each one of those numbers. Some so. Yeah, this is one of the only, or I, maybe it's the only one. I I don't know. There's there's very few conferences where, you know, you're encouraged to bring your spouse and your kids, and you have it at a water park, which is, which is just incredible. It's it's really like no other conference because of that. Yeah, it's a nice backdrop. Yeah, you know, family nerdy vacation. And yep. I so think we get of, better at that. You know, there's a lot to do here in hotels too, so oh, yeah. it doesn't have to be just at the Kalahari. But yeah, yeah, we didn't even stay here, and yeah, we're definitely gonna have no problem staying. Here. And why didn't you stay here? <laughs> why, why don't you tell the people? Oh, it's because Clark's email went to my spam. Folder, oh yeah, that's so it, that's it's it. probably like your yeah. SPF settings. Or right, something. sure, yeah. You were <laughs> the only one that I managed. take. I take nobly. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so what kind of dynamic does that bring? Having having all these kids here and having them, you know, they're they're speaking now, which is really cool. Yep. Having them attend the sessions, like what 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 does that do to the conference? You know, it's a good question. I I think uh, as time goes, uh, people start to realize what path we want to go down, and thus um, they kind of leap this chasm of you know family slash you know, geek, all intermixed, right? And the first year we did it, you know, it was very, oh my goodness, there's a kid, right? And yeah. and I don't think people knew how to act. But now that we're here in year four and, you know, it's such a ingrained part of what we do, I think people expect it, right? Yeah. Now from from our side of things, right, what keeps us up at night is, you know, this, this is still a professional conference at the end of the day. And because of that, um, we have to be able to maintain a set of professionalism. Um, we want the speakers to be able to talk about 400 level content and not be worried that a 10 year old is going to be in there, like, right. you know, clicking away on his keyboard. So, um, I don't, we don't, we don't have a right answer for that. You know, we're telling this year, we told all the older kids they could go to whatever session they wanted to, um, outside of the family track, which is our kind of curated mm -hmm. family stuff. So, um, I certainly appreciate the kids keeping the adults uh, behaving. Yeah, everybody acts a little bit better. 
Um, not that we inherently act bad, but right. you know, language is better. People are, no, I think point. people are more friendlier because their kids are around and you meet their families and you start to see the other side of somebody, right? Not just well, the work kids, side of it. And you want your kids to think like, this is cool. Like what right. mom or dad is doing right. is like a really cool thing. I, yeah. Cause I, I took my son to, uh, to a conference recently and you know, it was like the, he had like the greatest time and he's like, I don't really know everything that they were talking about, but he's like, that was really cool. Yeah. Like when I grow up, like I want to go do this stuff. Right. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I said this morning in kind of the opening remarks that, you know, we're, we live in an age where, especially everybody who's, you know, in the mess hall, we live in this place where, you know, our, the thing that we manufacture isn't something that's tangible. Right? I'm sure you can go to a webpage and you see it or, you know, hold it on a phone, but you know, our fathers and our grandfathers, you know, were, and there's still plenty of people who do this as a profession, but it's, you know, it, build high rises and you know the city of chicago has already been built right you don't get to see it get built again um and such you know i think we have to make sure we kind of create the right exposure to to the kids to you know see what you really do at work right Mm -hmm. so so one of the questions i wanted to ask uh is kind of a repeat of a question i asked last year when you're on our show is you get to see a lot of submissions come through for speakers i was wondering if there was any trends that you noticed about the industry as a whole through that submission process yeah that's a fantastic question um there are um we get about 700 abstracts each year seven eight hundred that we have to pare down and and look through and we have an open voting process now as well. But um, I think the ones that we've seen change the most is the mobile space. Um, you know, let's take the easy ones. So um, the cloud space is a pretty consistent thing. When a new hot thing comes in like Docker, you'll see a lot of people talk about Docker, but it doesn't like change the track. It's just a new thing. On the website, you can start to see what people are really using, right? So an Angular, you know, first pop, there was 75 Angular talks, right? And it takes a long time to try to get down to not 75, right? Um, But so so in the web space, you can see kind of what what people are really using. Um, On the mobile side, you can see industry trendings. So very first year, second year, it was native native talks you could count them like it was here's ios here's android here's uh windows and you would we would pick 30 mobile sessions and it was it was easy to go through the list because it was i'll just take this i'll just take that i'll just take that and then then it was like the next year was like the year of cordova Everybody, everybody had a hybrid app. Nobody wanted to build a native app anymore. So the submissions completely this reflected, all the like, problems. yeah, right. <laughs> they they reflected this change yeah. of how we're building mobile apps. And then this year it changed again, and you saw a way more, if this is the right word, kind of a polyglot mix of things. You saw some some Cordova, some things like a native script where you have you know a bridge. You had. Uh, straight native and then you have things like this is what i've screwed up over time right learn learn from my learnings right and that we hadn't seen any of that before because there were no real learnings right somebody there's no top 10 apps that i've built and and suffered and died from you know five years ago so 
Um, that track's been really interesting to watch. And then the other track um, is just grows in soft skills. And I think it, it really reflects on the fact that we need more of that in our industry. Uh, yeah. People really want it and people are talking about it. I mean, it's our biggest submitted track that we own. Um, we accept the most sessions on it, partly because it's the most interesting, but, or at least to us, that sounds bad. I'm the most interested in it, but that's not why we accept the most of them. Yeah. It has the broadest, you know, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't fit in those other three buckets. Like we'd like to just dump the buckets all together and say, you know, these are the sessions and not even have to worry about it, but you still have to put a frame around a conversation. So it's interesting, you know, we got 150 speakers, so, you know, that's, and that's not even including open spaces. So that's just another hundred sessions that have come off of open spaces. You're talking, you know, close to yeah. And it's pretty 250, much, 300 pretty much sessions. I, anything I can think of that I'm interested in is covered here. Yeah. Yeah. And we tried to keep a balance, right? We want to, we, regardless of what one identifies with during the day, we'd like it to be interesting stuff that provokes conversation because it's not good. You could get all this stuff online, right? So what does it matter? Right. right? Why are you here? And the reason you're here is because of community. So if a speaker, so then what's the speaker's role in that? Is it really education? Or is it about his experiences? And then, and then it has to be, how are they going to engage? Because if the speaker's not engaged, then we lost out on a community and the other part of that. And now we're back to just Google it and find, find it, find a video online. So that's a hard, that's a hard dynamic and an ask. You know, we want the speakers that want to be here just as much as the attendees do and therefore engage in open spaces and the talks and, and do that. So. Cool. So outside of that conference, are you working on anything cool that you want to talk about? Huh. Like there's <laughs> we're, time we're outside of us. We, we, didn't, we didn't warn Clark about the questions yeah. at all. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, there's a few things. You know, I'm, I'm pretty involved with the work at Telerik in a mobile space. Um, yeah. But my, you know, kind of desire for IoT continues to grow. And, you know, I've been building this radon controller, which you know about. Yep. Um, unfortunately, you said outside of that conference. And right now... Outside is that conference, so um, you know this will all end here in two days, and life will kind of regain some sense of normalcy. But yeah. you know, outside of the tech stuff, this past year I became a licensed U.S. soccer coach. Yeah, I saw that in your intro this morning, and and that has had a pretty big impact on how I think about some of the stuff in tech, um, which has been which has been good. It's helped with mm-hmm. you know understanding how to. I mean, being a coach isn't a simple thing. You have to have a plan. You have to uh, know how you're going to walk people through a, a journey in a season and manage, you know, expectations of parents and kids and all that kind of stuff. And um, it's been interesting to see how that kind of translates back to work and dealing with your coworkers and project timelines and kind of kicking the ball in a net, if you will. So very cool. Things are things are a little busy. Yeah. I bet I, I I just can't imagine, man. I don't know. I don't Almost know why done. you do this to yourself. <laughs> I don't know why I do it either. 
So uh, I did want to thank you specifically for giving us some space here at that conference. You gave us a table and some chairs and and put us in a pretty good spot here. We'll, so we'll send you the bill later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we really appreciate you giving us the space to do that, so that we can talk to people. You know, like you said, it's all about the the people that are here. And yeah. And we've been able to talk to some really awesome people. Talking to Uncle Bob Martin, I mean, he, uh, you know, I've been a huge fan of his forever. Yeah. So yeah, being able to talk to him was amazing. Uh, so yeah. We really appreciate that. Yeah, and you know, this is what it. You know, this year each of the keynoters were people from around the area, and so yeah, he like he has a house not too far from here, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah, and it's uh, really cool. It's you know we do big stuff in the Midwest, right? We should be yeah. proud of the stuff that we build, and oh, speaking, we have to talk about it. Speaking of which, you had given me a hint, and and I I, I laughed out loud whenever I saw this, but you had mentioned that you were going to have some some very Midwest giveaways. And, oh uh, <laughs> yeah, and I show up, and it's basically like uh, go kart coolers, you know. So you, it's gas powered coolers that you can drive around. Yeah, uh, yeah. I should have known. But, yeah, uh, yeah. And did you like? Yeah, that's awesome. Like I, yeah. I really want one of those. Yeah. So let's so let's explain it, right? So I uh, work very closely with uh, a company called Drifting Creatives, mm-hmm. um, and they help help me do the design work and uh, some of the creative side of what we do and. They had done some logo rebranding for a cooler company. That cooler companies, Bison Coolers, and we've always had animals as part of our uh, backdop, if you will. Right? Yeah. We've have we have bears on the signs every year, and we change the logos all the time. And, and so he goes, "You really should talk to these guys because they're very kind of similar, grungy kind of logo, and uh, you know they got this Bison, and I don't know, maybe you guys just seem a lot alike. You'd probably hit it off." So. So they made the introduction and I called up, you know, the guy that runs Bison and told him I had some kind of crazy ideas because this for us was a first, uh, if you will, product placement. So, you know, bringing a cooler company in as a, you know, partner, sponsor or whatever into a geek trade show, you know, conference doesn't, isn't the most obvious of uh, cross promotional type things. and. Um, but back to the, you know, craft of building something rather than just say, you know, here's a cooler, like we strapped it to a custom made go-kart and, um, <laughs> so where'd the go-karts come from? Did you guys build those or did you buy? No, them? I, I, um, I found a, a company that would, I found a guy who would work with me to build a frame yeah. and we, we custom made the frame. Now I was going to build it myself, yeah. um, I but I just that. didn't. My wife said, you got to stop. You do not have the time for this right now. So, so yeah, we got, we got uh, it made and um, it came only a few days ago. Um, okay. It took awesome. about two months, you know, for everything to kind of get yeah. down and they're not even really shooken down yet. I mean, we've put some oil in them and some gas and um, I'm sure you run them around, that, yeah. but <laughs> they've got maybe 30 minutes on them. So yeah. the chains, you know, needs to be tightened and a few other things, but yeah. Somebody can build it with their kid, and yeah. we'll keep one around for marketing and, you know, who arrive from year to year. But Very cool, very cool. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Clark. We really yeah, appreciate totally. it. totally. Anytime. We'll, Thanks for coming. We'll let you finally go eat a meal. <laughs> right now, we're talking to Keith Casey. He's working for Clarify right now. How are you doing, Keith? I'm pretty good today. How are you? I'm doing awesome. So right now, we just got done talking, or we just got done listening to the second day keynote uh, with the FBI agent, Byron, mm-hmm. and he 
uh, was really talking a lot about uh, you know being s- safe in a cybersecurity way, and you're going to be doing a kind of a similar talk. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So at uh, one this afternoon, I'm doing a talk called uh, "Social APIs for Social Evil," and it's a topic I've been concerned about and writing about now for a few years of basically being able to take social data that people are putting out there and how we can use it against them. So there's like little things like uh, knowing where you are, like the classic thing of four square check-ins to say, oh, yeah. oh I can rob your house. Yeah. Like that's the obvious stuff. But then there's a lot less, or a lot more subtle stuff. Like uh, a few years ago, I started doing a demo where I'd pull up the 10 questions from ING Direct, like your banking questions, and we'd pull up somebody's Facebook profile and see how many we could answer from them. And I never had less than six. Oh, geez. Six out of 10. <laughs> well, yeah, because all the questions they give are, it's always like silly stuff, you know, your your first pet or... You know. Well, well, the, well, actually, uh, first pet and street you grew up on were two of the hardest to answer from Facebook because okay. most of us are well past that age. Yeah, you know, odds are our first pet is gone. Yeah. Uh, the street we grew up on, our parents have moved, we've moved, you know, that sort of thing. But, but however, a- I think I think in the future that's actually going to be easier because the people that are growing up with this, oh, they're yeah, putting things on Facebook, especially now that you have like the Facebook features that remind you, hey, this is what happened ten years ago. Yes, absolutely, and and, and it brings that back up. So some of those that aren't as much of a concern, I can see being more in the future like well, that. And, and there's this thing that was going around a few years ago of what's your porn star name yeah. and to create your porn star name you took your first pet's name in the street you grew up on that was a social engineering attack at scale oh, nobody wow. realized it I didn't, yeah I didn't realize it until you just said it yeah and, the, the, <laughs> and everybody but, would post those online yeah and that information doesn't change so if you responded to it five ten years ago that information is still valid. Or maybe you didn't respond to it, but maybe one of your siblings did. Yeah. Odds are that information's pretty pretty similar. Well, and we know people are pretty bad with their Facebook privacy as well. I mean, you just yeah. go out there, even you know, if they're not a friend of yours, and it's amazing. A lot of people, you can just see everything. Yes, yes. And it, I, I just wrote a blog post about this a couple weeks ago where there was a, a 23andMe. Are you guys familiar with 23andMe? Yep, with so, the uh, genetic testing. Yeah, so you send in a, a cheek swab and yep. they do genetic testing. They figure out ethnicity, you know, relations, all that sort of stuff. But somebody built a proof of concept where you had, they tied in a 23andMe API for uh, OAuth. Mm-hmm. So you'd OAuth with 23andMe. It'd pull your genetic profile and then it would determine if you're blank enough to use the site, whether it is white, European, whatever. I mean, it was it was determining website access based on your ethnicity, based on your your genetics. And there, of course, twenty three me shut this down. They said this is against our terms of use. You're done. And yeah. I got a hold of that, and I said, "Well, wait a minute. Like, this is a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. This is yeah. bad. This is illegal and everything. But how would we do this at scale? Because twenty three me, they have a million customers. Mm-hmm. It costs a hundred dollars to get an account. Most people aren't going to do that." So instead, I looked at Facebook's data and I said, okay, what can I get from Facebook? And they've got the obvious thing like um, when you OAuth with Facebook, you can say, give me political affiliation or religious thing. And most people aren't going to share that because that's that's a little more personal. Instead, I looked at their likes. And I don't mean like I like this news article. I mean, this is the thing that I like. Like I like uh, Illinois, you know, whatever. Uh, or Wisconsin, I should say, since we're in Wisconsin. <laughs> and uh, – I found this great study from Cambridge in 2013 where based on just your like data, mm-hmm. they were able to determine between 88 and 90% of the time your ethnicity, your gender, your political affiliation, your religious, uh, religious affiliation, your sexual orientation, uh, a handful of other things. And I said, look, this is illegal. You cannot do this. But let's say you had a legitimate use, like you ran a web forum for battered women. And you want to make sure this was probably a female, probably 18 to 35, maybe had some likes as if she had a kid. Like that's probably legitimate. It's still illegal. Mm-hmm. But that's probably a legitimate reason why you want to do that. Now think of a negative one of let's say you're an insurance company and you get their like information or you're Airbnb and you're an Airbnb host and you say, I want to make sure this group never stays with me, whoever that group is. Right, right. 
that's pretty trivial, easy to do. And think of all the websites that you've given your like information to. You know, Hulu, Goodreads, like anything that makes recommendations, they say, oh, give us your like data and we'll make recommendations for you. Mm-hmm. And now they've got all that information. Yeah, I tend, I tend to never do that. And I tend to not like a whole lot of things, just very specific things. So I, I guess I'm wondering, you know, watching, just watching the, the FBI presentation mm-hmm. and, you know, he was trying to scare us with a whole bunch of, um, I, I thought it, I thought it was good information sort of masked in like terrible presentation. And it wasn't, I don't think it was his fault. It was, it, we were the, not the target audience for that slide. Deck. Yeah, that was it, very powerful. Exactly. It was you know. well in, in the new, he showed a bunch of news clips and, mm-hmm. and it was just the, the stuff that I would normally, like I would change the channel or turn off the TV if it came on yeah. because it's like a dramatization, dra- you know, dramatization mm-hmm. of, you know, like this, this hacker who's like dressed in black, like sneaking around sunglasses, and, long yeah, hair. In yeah. The and then they're, and then they have, you know, they're on their computer and their fingers are moving, you know, it's just like, it's just a blur. And, and, and that, so that sort of bothered me. So I had to, I had to filter all of that out to get to the, to the actual real content. Mm -hmm. So he was really trying to scare, to scare everybody. But, but the thing is like, what, what can I like really do? I mean, he, he was, he made some suggestions that I thought were, were a little crazy. I mean, obviously, yeah, you find a USB drive on the ground, like don't, don't put it in your laptop. I mean, don't be an idiot like that. I mean, he mentioned not uh, doing that from trade shows as well. Uh, As which, rat one, which is yeah, which yeah, which is which is actually probably pretty good advice. Yeah. Um, but some of the other things, I mean, he was talking about, um, um, you know, I think you should turn off things like geotagging. I think everybody yes, should absolutely. be everybody should be very aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't think it's a completely negative thing. But he was also talking about people. You know, we we always we always think that like everybody's after our kids, and and I don't. I don't really think that's true. I mean, I, I, I think there's there's people that like don't like to put pictures of their kids online, mm-hmm. and like I'll put pictures of my kids on Facebook, and I always make sure that I say you know only my friends can see these. They're friends of Facebook's friends privacy and, stuff is, yeah. is silly. So yeah. if you say just your friends can see it, just ignore it. You might as well make it public. Yeah, like their like, Facebook somebody or their, can like it or share. Well, it. Yeah, to me, it, like that silly. specific one, I was thinking like you know. It, it is useful to have that geo information in there for a lot of things. Yeah. And really the, the tools in general should be better about like when, when I'm moving this like outside of whatever container I need it to be, that, that just gets stripped off automatically. Yeah. So I don't know what the solution for that is, but for me, it seems like a tooling thing. Well, in, in that case, it's up to us to fix that sort of thing. Because yes. we're the one building these tools, building the Facebook apps and, the, and all the mobile apps that would could and should do that sort of thing. So I think it's up to us to be That's aware of what we can do and what like how this data can be used against us. Um, My my favorite thing is I I moved to Austin, Texas uh, in 2010. And for some reason, I got added to this mailing list for this high school in Aurora, Colorado. (laughs) It was the the freshman football team. And I was like, I was like on the parents list or something. So I kept getting these daily things of, hey, don't forget practice today. And the first couple ones I responded, I was like, hey, take me off the list. You've got the wrong guy. Uh, After the third or fourth day, I was getting kind of annoyed. So I hit reply all because it was just everyone was CC'd. Mm -hmm. And then finally, like after the fifth or sixth day, I was like really getting annoyed. So I took the email list and I used LinkedIn's API to pull everyone's profile from their email address. Um, I did, found that there was a reporter from the Denver Post. There was a federal judge on the list. There was all this thing. So then I cross-referenced that and I went to Facebook API and yeah. filled in more information. Some people had their street addresses. Oh, nice. Then almost everyone had, you know, generally kids have the same last name as the parents. So I went to the freshman football team roster on the website mm-hmm. and matched the names. And then I started digging more information. I put together a spreadsheet. I hit reply all. And I said, because you've added me to this mailing list and you've leaked these email addresses, here's the sort of thing that you've released. Mm-hmm. And I included like the superintendent of, uh, <laughs> of the, the district and the, the chief legal counsel, because yeah. I'm kind of a pain in the butt. Um, <laughs> 
I'll admit that. I've got no problem. <laughs> um, but I found some weird things in there. Like one person, um, he his freshman son had a girlfriend, and the father was leaving notes on the girlfriend's wall. And I was like, that's kind of creepy. Yeah. Like that. There, there's really not many legitimate reasons for that. Okay. <laughs> right, right. And so I noted things like that. I said, and we've got some weird patterns and I called this out in the email and I said, you know, here's, here's, I know everyone's name. I know where most of you live. I know where you work. I know how long you've been there. And I know where your kids will be on Friday night. <laughs> Cause I was the freshman yeah. football team. And now you're on a list. <laughs> and I hit reply all and I sent it to chief legal counsel. Five minutes later, my phone's ringing. Cause yeah. I said, here's who I am. Yeah. You know, I'm not a bad guy. Here's all my information. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this is what you're putting out there. Um, Chief legal counsel called me and he's like, you know, Mr. Casey, could you please make sure not to share this information? I'm like, this is all public information. Yeah. These people have shared it. I just organized it. And there's a reporter for the Denver Post on here. I can't control what she does with this. <laughs> <laughs> they were not happy with me. And I got an apology letter and removed from the list and everything. But Well, that could, have, that could have gone two ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was ready for it to go the wrong way. But it's just this is the sort of thing that we need to be aware of. We're sharing this information, yeah. and it can be used against us. Yeah. I guess what I'm wondering is can a, can a little bit go a long way? So, you know, can, can just a little bit of education and people people spending – you know, give this a at least a little bit of attention. Mm -hmm. Can that can that make a big dent, or or is it just sort of futile? I, I think it can make a big dent because, like, at clarify, we found that there's more media being created every day than was created in like the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. So, like, if we do little things like like you said, like stripping out the EXIF information from images when we share them, there's just the sheer volume of images will flood out some of the old ones. Mm -hmm. It's not going to get rid of them, but it'll flood yeah. them out. So like we can make little changes. I'll start to steer the ship and maybe we won't hit the iceberg. Um, and, and I think little things like that can go a long way. Yeah. Cause like Facebook, I mean, they always want my address and you know, stuff yeah. like that. I'm like, you don't need to know that. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I, there's always this, this kind of sniff test. Like, do you actually need to use this? Is this going to help me with this service? And then also on other websites, like everybody wants to use Facebook login now. Yeah. I refuse to, I refuse I, to I, use, I don't use it for anything. The only exception to that, to like a Facebook or a Twitter login mm -hmm. is if those particular services, if it's something related to that. So like we use yeah. a tool called buffer, which is for Twitter. Yeah, I use that. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, well I'm okay. Authenticating with Twitter to buffer, you know, to yeah. buffer because they're, they're like, you know, paired to the hip, but, not for anything else. Have you played with uh, Twitter's analytics? Yes, uh, I yeah, have. Carl yeah, has, yeah. yeah. You go to the analytics.twitter.com for anyone listening. And then they say, here's your followers. And they break it down by gender, uh, uh, education, uh, interest. Yeah. Interest. Like they've got ridiculous information on people just from your tweets. Yeah. And, and, and it's really interesting how, how they have to mine some of that stuff mm -hmm. because I mean, they show like spirituality and I mean, just like all those things that are really personal and you know, not everybody thinks that, you know, what they tweet about leaks that kind of information about themselves. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I mean, education level is one thing that's, that's really easy to figure out. Uh, there's a startup next door to us in Austin called People Pattern where they do audience demographic information based on, on tweets. And they can determine ethnicity, socioeconomic class, like a lot of information just from the way you speak, mm -hmm. which is kind of disturbing but makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard somebody say one time that you could – um, you know, it, it seems like everybody sort of has this internet digital signature, mm -hmm. you know, everybody sort of behaves in a certain way. And if you piece together all the information you have, you could theoretically, you know, with enough compute power, you could take like a paragraph, you could take a paragraph that somebody has written. If you don't know who, if you didn't know who it was and you could sort of figure out who it was based on all that contextual information. So, yeah. you know, as the compute power 
goes up too. I think we have to be more and more aware of this, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's right now it's like, you're just a powerhouse of being able to find this information, but eventually you're going to get turned into a button, you know, and and find information on these people. uh, Facebook graph search really did turn it into a button a few years ago. Like it really takes not a whole lot. And like on that, that, idea of the paragraph it's really trivially easy to do like just when you're talking to somebody in the hallways if they say things like pop mm-hmm. you know they're from the midwest yeah if they say soda they're from the east coast if they yeah. say uh would you like a coke and they mean any kind of soda mm-hmm. they that's probably from the south yeah. like you've got those little things like if they know how to play euchre they're probably from the upper midwest mm-hmm. there's there's those little things that sort of leak in regular conversation yep and then there's their grammar as well i mean if they're absolutely there's certain words that i avoid because i just don't know how to spell them <laughs> you know, I'll be honest. I understand that completely. And it's like, oh, I'll use this other word that I just, that I know and like. So I use, I use that word instead. And, mm-hmm. you know, so like I have sort of that, that signature in everything that I write. It's yeah, pretty absolutely. tough for me to be anonymous with that. Yeah. So I, I have done a, a little bit of anonymous writing. And one of the things that you do is you, you take what you write, write it the way you normally do, and yeah. then run it through um, like one of the, I forget the name of the tools, but they, they sort of calibrate what grade level you're writing for. Okay. And then write it, like use their suggestions to sort of dumb it down or bring it up to whatever, <laughs> however you want to sort of obfuscate. Okay. It. But it's obfuscation. It's not totally yeah. hiding things. Right, right. Well, yeah, you don't want to, to really obfuscate it. You'd sort of need to, you need to have it randomly replace things, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, anything else, Carl, that you wanted to ask him? Um, are you doing anything else cool? I know you do a lot of things, <laughs> but are you, are you got any like little side project or something that you'd like to share about? Uh, yes. Yeah, so well, I, I've got a couple things. I've always got my hands in lots of stuff. Um, so Clarify is my startup. Yeah. Uh, we're about 13-ish months old. Uh, we're an API for making audio and video searchable. So if you work with like podcasts, oh, okay. just hypothetically, you can, yeah. you can make podcasts. Podcast. I think I know yeah. somebody who's into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, it does automatic speech recognition. We do keyword analysis and topic analysis. We're working on accent detection things like that. Um, on the video layer, we're working on object recognition and then OCR on top of that. Okay. So we can tell you a truck drove through the frame. Here's the phone number on the side of the truck. Okay. So that's the kind of thing we're working on. So that's that's sort of my f- nine to five job. Uh, the other job that I just picked up is I'm the conference chair for a group called uh, API Strategy and Practices Conference. It'll be in Austin this November. And it is sort of the best and brightest in the API community all to get together. Uh, in this case, we're all going to drink some beer, eat some barbecue, and talk about APIs, both where they are now and where they're going in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to be running the world now. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the call for papers open this morning, I think. So uh, whenever this is published, no, the call for papers is still probably open. Okay. So where can, uh, where can people find you online? Oh, uh, I'm Casey Software. That's C-A-S-E-Y Software. And that's me on Twitter, Skype, uh, all the IM services. Uh, my website's CaseySoftware.com. I'm easy to find. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. Hi. Uh, right now we're talking to Alan Mendelovich from Ad Duplex. Hi, Alan. Hey. Nice. <laughs> so nice what brings here. you to that conference? Yeah. So so I, I wanted to go for quite for a few years now. Mm-hmm. But this time I actually managed to, to, you know, my, my call for, uh, my proposal for the talk was accepted. And, you know, okay. I, I come from, from quite afar and, and, you know, going here was yeah, hardly justifiable. Yeah. Where- so I live in Lithuania. Oh, wow. So it's. And you like, came just for this? Yes, I came just wow. for this. Wow. I, I don't did, so you I, think anybody came further than that. That's, that's, uh, that's wild. Uh, yeah, we can, we can do, you know, uh, a survey. Maybe we'll find someone who is <laughs> from China or something. That's really cool, though. So what do you yeah. think so far? Yeah, it's great. It's, it's actually, I don't know, quite, quite awesome. Look, everything looks awesome. The talks, like, s- seem to be great. That, 
you know, f from the schedule and from what I've been so far. Yeah. Have you gotten any talks yet? Yeah. So I went to a talk on Elasticsearch, and basically that was the only talk so far, <laughs> okay. except for the keynote. <laughs> yeah, we're still we're still kind of early here in the conference, so everybody still has a lot of energy. So when mm. is uh, when are you presenting? So my talk is on Wednesday at 10.30. Oh, that's what mine is too. <laughs> what are you talking on, Alan? So I, I'll, I'll be talking about ads and mobile apps and games. So uh, so what, what I find out is that for many developers, you know, the, the, the coding part, maybe the design part is the easy part. And then they struggle with all the business stuff. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and when it comes to ads, you know, it's quite a specific industry with a lot of three-letter acronyms, which you basically never know if, if you, if you, until you get in, into it. And I actually got into that industry mostly by accident. So I had to learn it the hard way. Mm -hmm. So I decided to make a talk to, to make it, you know, to, to do it in just one hour to explain the basics. Okay. To and you work for yeah, and you work for Ad Duplex. Yes. And they they provide a control that makes this really easy, right? Yeah. So so we what we do we help you promote your apps for free. So basically, you integrate our SDK into your app. Mm -hmm. You promote other apps, and they promote you in return. This way, both of the uh, your apps grow. You get users for free, you grow your app, and then at some certain level, you are ready to start making money from it because you know. Unless you have users, you are not making any money from ads, uh, and, and that's that's where we help. Very cool. So, what's like the number one thing that developers should know about advertising that they generally don't know? Yeah, so, uh, I think the num I don't know if it's the number one thing, but it's the thing that most developers don't know is the concept of fill rate. So, what fill rate is is uh, a percentage of. Uh, ad requests that are actually fulfilled with actual ads. So every time your app requests an ad, an ad from the ad network, contrary to what you may think, it will not necessarily come back with a real ad. And depending on where your user is and what ad network you use, sometimes this fill rate could be you know, as low as 10%. So you're, if you're using just one ad network, you are basically wasting like 90% of your, in some regions. So maybe it, it, you know, it's better in US, but maybe some network is good in Western Europe. But if you go to Africa, if you go to Asia or Eastern Europe or wherever, depending on what network you use, it, you may never see an ad. So I live in Lithuania and in most uh, apps that don't, you know, proactively attack the issue, I almost never see any ads if they are using just like pop center and that's it uh, does that ever cause issues like is it is it just a blank space yeah, it's usually usually it's a blank space okay. it's not a, not a technical issue but it's an issue that the developer who made that app and who's trying to monetize it with that well, is, yeah. is not making any money there yeah <laughs> yeah they, they may as well have not even gone to that market because they're yeah, it's just it's just worthless at that point. I mean, maybe they have other ways of making money or something. Yeah. But but if you use multiple ad networks, and some ad networks are really good in say Asia, some ad networks are maybe good in Russia, some ad networks mm -hmm. I use uh, good in Germany. Let's say if you work on it, if you mix and match them and and uh, implement what is called a, like a waterfall algorithm, when you if one ad network has nothing, you switch to the other and the other. Then you can get pretty pretty close to that 100% fill rate and make money everywhere. It may be not a huge amount of money, but it still makes a huge difference between you know 
just throwing one at control and not thinking about it mm-hmm. and, and, you know, working on it. Okay. So I, I know that uh, Microsoft has a control yeah. that helps do that. Do you, yeah, so, do you recommend using that one or do you have, or does that duplex have one of their own? So we don't have one of our own. So Rob Irving, who works with us, he worked also on a, he was on your podcast. He also works on Adratator, which is an open source control, which was the first, I think the first, but at least the most popular open source control uh, for doing this on Windows Phone for a long time. Uh, now Microsoft has their own, and you know, it looks like Microsoft is investing in 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 that area, and it's now very easy, and, and it's hard. You know, you have to be r- really serious about it, like more than serious to to look for other solutions. But if you are just reasonably serious, you know, I think the Microsoft solution is quite quite good at this point. Especially with Windows 10, they have it all integrated into the Dev Center now. You just you know drag the sliders in, in Dev Center and you're all set. That okay. sounds pretty easy to use. Yeah. I have a general mobile ad question, and I'm sorry if this is a stupid question, but do you normally get paid on clicks or ad shows? Yeah, so that, this is also one of part of my talk so okay it, it depends on the ad network so some ad networks uh-huh. so l- let's say AdMob, which is google's ad network they are mostly click based so at, at least originally mm-hmm. now there is in there are various models like co- cost per install you only pay it when someone installs the ad the app uh, sometimes you get paid for impressions so the pop center i think they like abstract it for you you don't know what what you're paid for mm-hmm. normally if you're from the developer standpoint from a publisher standpoint what you care about is a concept called ecpm so cpm is uh, uh, like a price per thousand impressions and ecpm is uh, like effective cpm it's basically ah, okay. any other model whatever the advertiser is paying mm-hmm. for converted into it's converted into 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 like uh, cost per impression because you know as a developer you don't actually care who clicks on what, and you don't want to be responsible for that. So in order, you know, if someone wants to advertise a very crappy app inside your app and no one clicks on the ad, you don't have to be penalized for that. Yeah. The reason but, that I ask is I've, I've played some games where they they trick you into clicking on them. And then I've also seen other apps where they seem to be content to just sit there and just like every few seconds they're switching their ad to like keep, just keep throwing more and more ads at you. So I assume that yes. they're optimizing for something. Yes. So so if, if you like work on it, uh, you can get, you know, if, if you are only concerned concerned with revenue today you can get uh, into a nasty space in terms of user experience yeah <laughs> not a good idea though long term yeah so so you know it's it's a it's a you know work of balancing it to to maximize revenue for you and user experience for the user okay Okay, well, thank you, Alan, for coming over. And uh, where can people find you if they're looking for you? Yeah, so you, you can find me on Twitter, and I'm Alon, so it's A-I-L-O-N. Okay. And you can come to a Duplex website, uh, at duplex.com. We now have uh, an SDK for Windows 10 apps. It's actually the first and the only SDK even Microsoft doesn't have their own. Okay. So if you have, if you want to add some Windows 10, we are the only choice for now. So. <laughs> Perfect. Well, good luck with your talk. Thank you. Thank you. Today we're talking to Tubac. Uh, how's it going? Yeah, it's going well. Okay, so what brings you to that conference? Uh, I will be actually speaking uh, on the last day about ASP.NET 5. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, where did you come from? 
I came from United Kingdom. I lived there. Okay. But I actually came from Turkey here. I I was there to visit family. Okay. Okay. Cool. So it was a long trip. Yeah. So what is the latest in ASP.NET five? So ASP ASP.NET five is a, a complete rewrite mm -hmm. of the uh, .NET web stack. Oh yeah, it's all cross platform and all of that. Yeah, everything. Uh, so. Uh, the old baggage is not there anymore, right. and then it has uh, pretty much new features. Like you know, you can uh, you, you can just deploy it without deploying, without having the runtime installed. Right. You can just deploy it to Linux or uh, OS X mm -hmm. environment. So it has uh, many many features that will affect your product. So it's actually what I'm going to be talking about. So whenever new technology comes in, it's hard to convince your boss. Because you need to spend some time moving there, yeah. But this time, uh, you have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of new features that will affect your product uh, yeah. in the market. So I'm curious have you have you done any development like on, on Linux or OS 10 with with the new version of ASP.NET, or have you mostly developed from Windows? It's an interesting question actually because I have been a Windows guy for yeah. from the very beginning. Yeah. But then I uh, actually started looking into Linux, and I also have a Ubuntu machine now. Okay. I'm doing most of my uh, free time development there, personal development there, and I'm, I'm really cool. enjoying it with the uh, open source project called OmniSharp. Yep. So the guys have built that so that you get the IntelliSense and all that refactoring features you get with the Visual Studio, most of them. So uh, it's a it's a fun uh, fun environment now with the, okay. all that Atom and the Sublime Text and then VS Code, everything is now supported. Yeah, it's just wild now that, that yeah. it's it's so open that you can you know build it wherever you want, run it wherever you want. And it sounds like like you said, there's a lot of compelling reasons to go over there. Exactly. So I know that there's like separate versioning, so you can actually have uh, you know each application, each ASP.NET application on that machine can have like a different runtime version that goes along with it. Um, I don't. Is there anything else that you think is like a huge deal to you? Uh, I think there are some other stuff, some other you know small things yeah. which will not be seen as a big thing, yeah. but it will affect you uh, in the long run, like new configuration uh, yeah. stuff. It's not a big you know thing that you haven't been yeah. able to do that before, but it's now the supported way that Microsoft is trying to push towards. So we yeah. know that most of uh, shops are actually looking suggestion from Microsoft and tries to, you know, be on that path. Yeah. So now that, you know, safe uh, configuration environment, new uh, data protection stuff, which mm -hmm. is complete rewrite as well. Uh, so all of that small things are going to be affecting uh, how you, you know, write your applications. It's, uh, I would call it safe by default now. Yeah. And then uh, it's also modular, so you can actually yeah. buy into what you need. Uh, that seems to be one of the big things is you just sort of bring in things as you need them. So if you want something that's like small and really lightweight, that's what you start with. Yeah. And then you add in the components as you need them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's it's uh, mostly a way that you would work today, I guess. Yeah. Before you have this big monolith applications. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, even with your own applications, you are trying to you know break them apart and then make them uh, releasable separately. Okay. Now I know with um, 
with like the the new version of .NET, if you look at like .NET Core, there's like the the .NET Core, but you can still get like a new version of the you know the big framework that's sort of compatible with older older things. Is that the case with ASP.NET, or is the new version of ASP.NET is that only kind of the new way forward? So ASP.NET actually sits on top of uh, something called DNX, yeah. .NET Execution Runtime, or Execution Environment. I'm always having uh, difficulties <laughs> no remembering problem. it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that uh, that part, the DNX, is only responsibility. The whole responsibility of DNX is to figure out your uh, runtime. So okay. it will it will see that if you want to uh, target uh, full .NET framework, you can do that. Still, you can okay. pull down assemblies uh, from GAC and then uh, work with that. Ah, so you can use like the new ASP.NET with the full .NET. Yeah. Or you can use the the .NET Core essentially. Exactly. Exactly. So ah, okay, uh, cool. But the, you will have the new project structure. You will you will be able to use all of the new uh, components. Okay. Uh, but you will be targeting .NET framework, and it will require you to install the .NET framework on your machine. Okay. So you will not be able to get you know uh, deploying without the, the runtime being installed or separately having uh, separate .NET framework installations in one machine without affecting each other. Okay. Now, people that, that don't use ASP.NET today, mm -hmm. do you think any of them are getting excited about this? You know, if they're doing, you know, I don't know, some other language, if they're using Node.js on the back or mm -hmm. back end or something, do you, think, do you think any of them are switching over? Or is it mostly existing ASP.NET developers that are really excited about this new stuff? I personally don't believe that we people will be switching to ASP.NET 5 because yeah. of these new features if they are happy with Ruby or Node.js. Yeah. But I also believe that it will remove the barrier for the newcomers. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. 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 So if they have been sort of looking at it. Exactly. And now it's like, oh, well, hey, now it looks like a good time. Exactly. So when you are starting to start to build an application, now you look at this, uh, you know, uh, technologies. And you do some POCs on them, and then decide what to choose. And ASP.NET was a big had a big barrier on it. I yeah. think with the uh, some restrictions like Windows only being Windows only. I mean, yeah. you, you you were able to run it on Mac, but it was not supported right, uh, on right. Mono. Yeah. Yeah, and Mono. I mean, Mono's great, except that you know it's just it's not .NET, right? You yeah. know, you just never you never know what kind of issue you're going to run exactly. into. So people were afraid. Exactly. For exactly. sure. Now you're a you're a Microsoft MVP. You said. Yep. Okay. In ASP.NET. Yep. Okay. Perfect. And uh, so, where can people find you? Do you have a blog out there? Twitter. Yeah, I, I have a blog. I have a blog. Uh, it's called tookbackugulu.com. I also have okay. a Twitter. My Twitter handle is Tourism Geek. Okay. And I'm also on GitHub. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I'm, uh, it's if you search my name, you, it's kind of. Uh, uh, yep. And we'll get all that in the show notes too. Yeah. So that people yeah. can look that up. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> okay, so I'm here with Annabella and Jed. How's it going, guys? It's going great. It's going awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's going really well. So uh, I know Annabella, you were talking to me earlier. You uh, you guys have an interesting product. Do you want to uh, tell me about that? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, 
we we work for Genuitech, a software a pretty cool software company, okay. and we just launched our our latest uh, product, which is Web Clips. And uh, Web, Clips, Web Clips is a suite of add-ons that pretty much bring the missing pieces of Eclipse. Uh, you know, a lot of developers love Eclipse, but there are some missing items. And uh, because we have a lot of developers around the world, we actually know what they need, and we have been working on that. So, um, I, Jed, you can talk more about Web Clips. Or sure, yeah, I'll jump in. Um so we've got a couple different pieces of the of the suite. There's um, a JavaScript debugger for Eclipse, which is something that Eclipse has been lacking for a long time. Okay. Also, um, a RESTful web service inspector. We're calling it REST Inspect. Um, we've also got a hot reload feature, which is key for people who are doing a lot of server work. And you know, you've changed one line of code, you add a method, that sort of thing, oh, okay. and then you have to shut down and start up your server again. And so it brings that. Um, it, it reduces that amount of time. It's not magic. It doesn't do everything, but it does a really good job with a lot of stuff. So. Yeah, Annabella was mentioning it earlier, so it's like a kind of like an edit and continue feature. Yeah, in exactly. Eclipse. Exactly. Okay. And we're talking serious amounts of time that you're saving by not shutting down and starting up. Yeah, again. is that just in Java or is that for JavaScript as well? I want to make sure uh, I got the, the features. That's, that's just for Java. Just yeah. for Java. Okay. Yeah. That sounds pretty cool. Um, and I can talk a little bit more about some of the other stuff that we work on, uh, that if you want, or we can sure. just talk about web clips. Um, so Genuitech also has sort of our flagship product is called My Eclipse, and uh, it's Eclipse plus a bunch of JEE tools, okay. um, and we do a lot of like integration work to make it so that it's really easy for users to use the different frameworks together. Um, you know, and a lot of them are going to be open source frameworks, and we put. A, add-ons on top and, and make them work better. Um, and then the product that I'm the development manager for is called Secure Delivery Center, and that's an Eclipse provisioning platform. So maybe you've got 100 developers, they all need the same Eclipse, the same plugins, the same um, set of projects, and it makes it easy to roll that out and then keep developers up to date so that they're not going back to the wiki every two weeks. Okay. Know. So back to Web Clips. So that, um, I'm curious... I've never used Eclipse for JavaScript development. What kind of experience is that in, in Eclipse? So that's another thing that we brought with um, with Web Clips is we've improved on the JavaScript yeah. uh, development. Um, I think there was a there's a mentality that some developers have that they want one IDE for all their programming. And if you are a full stack developer, you may be dealing with the database. You might be dealing with your you know, your JAXRS web service, you might then also be writing your Angular code yeah. on top of that. And so we were trying to provide tools for the full developers, you know, those who are doing all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I know people like to, like you said, they like to stay in the same IDE. Yeah. And Eclipse, I mean, I, there's people that, that swear by it. And obviously, your company, it sounds like you've sort of pivoted around all the different things you can do in Eclipse. Well, yeah, our company has been a part of the Eclipse community basically since its inception. Um, I was on the team that originally wrote Eclipse um, back when it was written by this little company called OTI. Okay. Um, and then, uh, like, our, a couple of our principals were on the Eclipse Foundation for many years. So, yeah, we've had our hands in the Eclipse world for a long, long time. Okay. And how can people find out more about this? Where should they go? Uh, go to www.genuatech.com slash product slash webclips. How do you spell that? Uh, Genuatech. It's yeah. G-E-N-U-I-T-E-C. Okay. Um, yeah. And so go there or do a search for webclips. Um, do a search for my eclipse. 
all that stuff's going to come up in Google. Okay, perfect. Uh, we also mentioned that the web clips is actually free for early adopters. Okay. So you can just go and get it like right away. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, perfect. And are either of you speaking at this conference or not? No, this year, no. We just, okay. This is our just first time everything here, out. so we wanted to see what it was like if we were actually going to be in tents, camping. We didn't know, <laughs> yeah. so we wanted to scope it out. So what do you think so far? I'm really enjoying it. I think the community here is really strong, yeah. um, and it feels very different from a lot of other conferences I've been to, where it just feels like uh, kind of a show, mm -hmm. and this is more like, let's roll up the sleeves and get some stuff done. Yeah, this is more about the people, and like you said, just getting stuff done. Yeah. So. Okay, Great. and where can uh, people find you guys on Twitter? Uh, you can find us at, at WebClips or at Genuitech. And um, we also have an account that is called uh, Decoder Life. And that's. Oh, where... yeah, you were showing me that earlier. Right. Yeah, talk right. about that. Talk about some of the stuff on there. Yeah, no, Decoder Life is actually a pretty successful Twitter account we have because. Um, we just tweet humor for developers and, um, you know, they identify themselves with it. They, they retweet, they like it. Uh, we make fun of them. We, we sympathize with them. It's, uh, so follow us at Decoded Life. Okay, pretty cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. No, yeah. Thank you for thank having you us. Thank you for our, your time. So we have David Giard. How's it going, David? Going great. How are you guys doing? Good, good. So uh, what brings you here? Oh, I'm here at that conference uh, for a couple of reasons. One is I just love com great community events like this, and this is a great event. I've, this is the third time I've been here uh, of the four times I've had it. And um, so I'm going to speak tomorrow on okay. uh, Azure. And also Microsoft is a big sponsor here. We're the principal sponsor. But I think we're the, the top sponsor yep. of the event, and I'm helping to coordinate that as well. Which is really cool to see. And actually Clark was mentioning this morning, speaking of sponsors, he was talking about Microsoft and being open. And, and he said, he sort of alluded to the fact that, that probably other years, uh, Microsoft would not be allowed to be a sponsor just because of you know, corporate culture and things like that. But he saw you know, <laughs> such a big change in the, in the company and us being open and, and really working with other technologies. So I thought that was, I mean, I, I thought that was kind of neat to see that. Yeah, uh, I, I, have to, I, I didn't actually hear him say that, but I had to believe <laughs> yeah. just half joking about that because we have been sponsors of this in the yeah i know i know <laughs> i know but he he seemed it seemed to be like you know like really reinvigorated and his point that the microsoft is changing yeah. it's changed a lot yeah in the absolutely. last couple i joined two years ago and mm -hmm. uh I, so i'm going to totally take credit for all this because <laughs> i think it's I, a good I joined thing. two years ago as well so <laughs> did you okay 50 50 <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll both take credit for it and then a guy named satya uh, recently <laughs> oh yeah i think i've heard I, of he, him. he probably had something to do yeah with yeah <laughs> uh, but the, i think the big change that uh, people that maybe saw Microsoft uh, five, ten years ago and were transported here in a time machine, uh, they wouldn't recognize is how much we're supporting of open source software mm -hmm. and of non-Microsoft technologies. Absolutely. And in fact, that's what my talk exciting. is about. I'm talk, yeah. My talk so is titled talk about that. Microsoft Azure without Microsoft. Yeah. Um, so what does that mean? So uh, it, it came about because I was, um, I'm, a, I'm a technical evangelist and I talk to a lot of startups. Mm -hmm. And startups, I, I'll, one of the big things I'm saying is that you, know, you need to host your application somewhere or you need to hold your services somewhere. You don't want to buy a lot of hardware. Cloud computing is a good way to go. We have a cloud computing platform. And one response I get a lot of is, well, we're not a Microsoft shop. You know, we do PHP, we do Java, we do Linux, we do, um, you know, all this, we do iPhone right. development. So therefore, Azure 
Microsoft Azure is not relevant to us, which yeah, is a they totally don't, they false don't even statement. look at it. Yeah, they don't even look at right, it. Right, right, and and uh, that's the, maybe it's not right for them. That's mm-hmm. their decision, but that statement that they're not, it's not right for them because they're not Microsoft is totally false. Right. And so what I'm trying to t- talk about here is um, that Microsoft Azure is right for a lot of different. It supports a lot of different platforms: mm-hmm. uh, Linux virtual machines, uh, mobile service for iPhone apps. Uh, building web applications on top of PHP or MySQL or Python, all, all sorts of things that are available out of the box in Azure mm-hmm. that have absolutely nothing to do with Microsoft. Right. That's really cool. And then what about, do you talk about anything uh, on-prem or is it all, it's all about... Well, it, oh, I do <laughs> for my day job, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so we've got things like Visual Studio Code, yeah. which runs on a Mac. We've got, uh, uh, there's just a ton of open source software that's included, that's bundled with Visual Studio. Mm-hmm. It all started with jQuery. Uh, you know, there was a big, all the lawyers had heart attacks and yeah. we actually included an open source product in Visual Studio. And now there's there's dozens, maybe hundreds, I, I'm not really sure exactly count, that are inclu- bundled with Visual Studio. And even more if you count all the NuGet packages that you can bring in very quickly. Absolutely. So you know, another question I'd like to ask you, when you talk about you know running this on Azure without Microsoft and the new open Microsoft, are all these SDKs, are they open source themselves even? Or? A lot of those are open source as well. For example, there's an, S, uh, there's an Azure SDK for, there's one for Ruby, there's one for Python. Uh, I have a notes in here. Let me let me cheat and look at my notes, but, but, <laughs> but there that, are I mean, SDKs. Sure that has but to I don't really I don't actually write in those, but uh, those languages. But they're available if you want to do things like oh, here we go, Ruby, PHP, and Java. Go to azure.github.io. Actually, Node.js should be on that list as well. It should. Oh, I'll, I'll totally change them. You caught me before my presentation, because <laughs> uh, because Azure really exposes just about everything through a REST API. Mm-hmm. And these are just wrappers for the REST API. Even the the, the .NET SDK is just yeah, calling yeah. out the REST API as are the PowerShell commandlets. So I mean that really has to be yet another reason for you know startups to get into using these. Is just when you when you're pushing the SDKs out in the languages that they want them in. Absolutely, that, that's got to be huge. Yeah, they're they're, they're and they're open source. They can be. You can uh, you can if they don't do what you want to do, you can branch them and fork them. Uh, add to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a, um, a command line interface. So traditionally, what Microsoft infrastructure folks have done, some developers, is use PowerShell to do automation. And Azure has a very rich set of PowerShell commandlets for doing things like creating virtual machines or creating services or creating web apps. Uh, well, there's also an interface called the command line interface that'll run on a Mac, it'll run on a Linux. It'll run on Windows as well if you want to just have the same interfaces on both of them. So you can create bash scripts on Linux to automate the creation of your Linux virtual machines in Azure, for example. Or like you said, just call the the, the straight REST APIs themselves. And that's, yeah, that's yep. just really cool. Yeah, for this is for mere mortals, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, REST is great. I love REST. Yeah. Uh, it's just that not everybody is proficient with HTTP and calling. This is just, this abstracts it away and makes it easier, more accessible to a lot of developers. Yeah. Now, cool. I'd like to take a step back. You know, I've heard you give a, a previous version of this talk before, and you mentioned you that. You saw Linux, the world premiere of this, actually. The, oh, was Appleton, that? Appleton, Wisconsin. Oh, v, v, V1. So you, you, you <laughs> talked about the Linux virtual machines, and I, I forgot the exact reference. I know it's a really good one, though. Uh, to, there's a website out there that has the uh, just a whole bunch of open source virtual machines available to them. There is. It's uh, VM Depot. Oh, yeah. Uh, VMDepot.msopentech.com. I'm totally not reading that. Uh, <laughs> no, but and, hey, as soon as you gave that to me, I mean, that's just an amazing resource. Yeah, you had mentioned that on the show right after that, I think. And uh, yeah, we went out there and there's like everything is out there. It's really hundreds cool. of them. And it's growing. Uh, it's not, we're not. Microsoft isn't maintaining that. That's supported by the community, mostly the Linux community. And not only are there virtual 
virtual images out there they can use as either your virtual machine or as a starting point to build on top of. But um, uh, there's the, even the scripts, like the CLI, the command line interface scripts to use to create the virtual machine right. is there. You can copy that, paste that into your bash script yeah. and get up and running very quickly. And you mentioned that they will take pull requests. And I have issued pull requests. I think uh, I've mentioned this before, but a good place to get started with like pull requests and just getting into open source is to go in there. And if you see a way to improve documentation or to fix typos or things like that, to do that. And I've gone in there and I've actually improved some of those things, you know. Oh, in, in which, uh, which libraries have you done that? Oh, I would have to look. You'd have to look at my GitHub history. I mean, okay. I, there's. Oh, so you're all over the place. Uh, then. Yeah, I'm all over the place. Oh, awesome. That's, I'm glad <laughs> to little, hear that. Little ADD. Yeah, I don't know. I'm and, you, and you actually work for Microsoft. Yes. So this is another example here mm -hmm. that maybe five, ten years ago you we've seen very little of. Yeah. Microsoft employees contributing to open source software. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to be found out and like the lawyers are going to call me and I'm going to have a hard conversation. Yeah, it turns out there's a lot of people <laughs> have to call because we have a lot of that. There's yeah. Microsoft folks have contributed to the to the Linux kernel. Mm -hmm. The Linux kernel for yeah, crying out loud. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, all, all of the code for my presentation, it's all open source. And I actually develop it out on GitHub. I know some projects, they will occasionally push to GitHub. But more and more teams are getting better at, like, just developing in public. Like, you can go out there and see, like, when Anders is, like, committing to TypeScript. Like, you go out there. He probably committed, you know, like, two hours ago. Right. And you can literally go see, like, what the commit was and when he did it. Oh, absolutely. The Roslyn team was really good about that. Yeah. I mean, they, they had their, their stuff in public in very early beta mm -hmm. and uh and it's open source yeah which is also an amazing thing yeah very cool uh, anything else you want to talk about your presentation otherwise uh i know that you have a podcast that you wanted to plug as well oh yeah so the the presentation so it's at that conference so this probably will get published after the yeah it's, but probably, it's probably gonna be too late. try to give it again um i do have a blog uh and i actually have written i i, I here's a tiny url for you where i wrote an article Microsoft okay. Azure without Microsoft. So the, the, the top points of my presentation are there. Uh, and then the URL, or the tiny URL is uh, tinyurl.com slash my last name, G-I-A-R-D-M-A-W-M. -M, okay. Microsoft Azure without Microsoft. But the blog itself was at davidgr.com. Okay, that's pretty easy. Um, right at my name. And then my show is Technology and Friends. Okay. At technologyandfriends.com. Uh, this is similar to your format here uh, where I get smart people on the show and I ask short questions they give long answers and we just learn about anything that's it's fun relevant it? to technology it's been great fun for me I've, yeah. I've met just a ton of people in the community uh the the keynoter today uncle bob was on yep. my show a couple of months ago oh, just cool. a fascinating guy and i'm coming up on uh i should bring it up here 370 some episodes wow uh yeah we'll make sure we include a link to that show yeah in the show it, it'll be in january it'll be seven years that i've been doing that show oh wow and okay. I'd like to formally invite you guys yeah, no. to be on my show. Oh, to be on this there. week. Actually, is that this week? You, um, what is your answer, sir? We're, yes, I mean, we're on the conference. Ne next week would be fine unless you want to record here. Record here. That's exactly why. I, what do you think I want to drive up to Appleton, <laughs> Wisconsin again? That's like three hours from my house. <laughs> yeah, if we record here, we can do it this week. Otherwise, yeah, we'll go on next Let's week. Let's do it. I'm, I'm usually sitting right over there at the Microsoft booth. Okay, that sounds great. So uh, once again, thank, thank you, David, for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate it. This sounds really awesome. All right, thanks thank for the you. show. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 